All right, good. Well, we did better than I thought we would already. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to be up here next week, so I've I got to say what I'm going to say right now. Now. <laughs> the VBS sign-up sheet is up. And there is a new regime. And when I put the VBS sign-up sheets up, you count on six, eight weeks, something like that, before they come down. But Heather is in charge this year, Heather Gray. And I'm so thankful that she is taking this thing. But those sheets are only going to be up till next Sunday. And let me tell you a little story about Heather so you understand what you're dealing with. <laughs> Back about five or six years ago, she was, where is she? She's not in here, is she? I can say anything I want to. Okay. <laughs> Back about five or six years ago, she, um, Sean was put in charge of the building, and they asked her to watch over the kitchen and kind of keep things cleaned out. We just collect all kinds of old food and uh, half jars of this and half jars of that and all kinds of stuff in the cabinets that should have been thrown out years ago. So she put up a little sign, and it said, um, on the first Monday of every month, these cabinets will be uh, looked for, and we'll be looking in the refrigerator and all this. We're going to clean this stuff out. And uh, if you want to keep it, you've got to put your name on it, and then we'll, we'll leave it there. But if your name's not on it, and I don't know what it's about, it's gone. Uh, well, I... Didn't know, I didn't know how Heather operated, how much she meant, how much she didn't. Well, I had a little jar of this precious coffee that I call kava. And I had just bought a new jar of this stuff. It's hard to find. It's low acid, if so I can drink it, you know. And uh, I put it in the cabinet where the other, co- other coffees were. I thought, okay, well, that'd be all right. Well, something happened. The, I, I just got it and put it in there, and the Monday night came along, and it was gone. I, I hadn't figured out what was going on yet. I, where, so I guess someone needed some kava coffee. I, figured, I thought someone came in the building and just said, hey, I, I want that, and carried it off. So I went and bought myself another thing. I put it up in the cabinet, and I'd use it about three or four times. Next Monday rolled around, and the thing's gone again. <laughs> and I, I start thinking about this. Okay, on, it's there on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They come in for Sweet Monday. And the next day, it's gone. And so I start thinking, Heather is doing this. So I go out to the dumpster. And I found my brand new thing of copper coffee sitting out there. And I'm going to tell you something. (laughs) If she says those things are coming down next Sunday night, they're coming down next Sunday night. And if you want to be involved in VBS, you better get your name on there now because when it's down, it's down. So I just thought I'd let you know about that. (laughs) All right. Okay, we're ready to go now. Last week, we started a study of the Holy Spirit. We used uh, John 14, 15, and 17 as the the main text. And uh, this is the part where Jesus says, if any man loves me, uh, he will keep my commandments. And he starts to talk about the Holy Spirit. And he says, um, I'm going away, but I'm going to send someone back to you. Another, The Father will send another comforter for you. And then he says a couple things, and these are the things I wanted to key in on. He, just, he said, you know, he's going to send the, uh, the comforter, the advocate, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because they cannot see him 
nor do they know him. And the first point that I just want to reemphasize here this morning is that the Holy Spirit is for God's people. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. You have to be in the kingdom of God to have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you're in the kingdom of God. Those two things are synonymous. The second thing he says there about the Holy Spirit is that um, he's talking to his disciples here on the night before he's crucified. And he says, you know him. You know him. And because he is with you and he will be in you. And he describes a, a relationship, a change in relationship. He said, he's with you now, but he will be in you. One of the main differences between the old covenant and the new covenant is the Holy Spirit is no longer with us or among us. He is in us. And that's a whole other thing. And so I, I just wanted to emphasize those, those two things as we go, go back to what we're talking about here today. Today, I want to go one step further. I want to look at, uh, at this whole idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I pointed out last week that when people become Christians, they receive the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the gift which is being given. Repeatedly, the New Testament says the Holy Spirit dwells in the Christian. We've received that gift. He's in, he's in us, and he is dwelling in the Christian. And I gave many verses which say this very thing, and I, I don't think there's any uh, too much argument about that. But if we're going to be New Testament Christians, and, uh, you know, that, uh, that is our, uh, one of our goals as, uh, as people meeting here right now, we want to learn what New Testament Christianity is about. We want to practice New Testament Christianity. We don't want any other kind of Christianity. That's the kind that we're interested in. But if we're going to be New Testament Christians, if we're going to restore the church of the New Testament, we're going to have to figure out what it means to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, what that looks like, and what that means. And furthermore, as we're going to find out today, we're going to have to find out what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to understand what that means and how that might change things for us. I, and the reason I say this is that it might be possible, if we, if we misunderstand, if we don't get this right, we might be in the position, maybe not intentionally, but accidentally quenching the Spirit. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. It's a very, very short little verse. Do not quench the Spirit. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't resist the Spirit. Don't push back against him. Let the Spirit have sway. Let the Spirit guide. Do not quench the Spirit. Well, if we misunderstand what it means to have the Spirit dwelling in us and what it means to be filled by the Spirit, we might very well, even though it might be accidental, find ourselves in a position of not cooperating. We're quenching the Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit is in us. He's powerful, but he's not a bully. He'll not drag us into things we don't want to do. We have to cooperate. And if we don't, then the Holy Spirit is quenched. He does nothing. The same as if he was not there at all. We need to know this. We need to understand this. Or we might find ourselves resisting or quenching the Spirit. So here's the passage I want to look at today, Ephesians 5, 18, 19, and 20. And this is not a sermon on instrumental music in case you are acapella music, in case you were wondering. There's something else here that I really want to key on, and that, those words are underlined there. 
Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So that's our, our scripture for today. And the part I'm really interested in is that part that's underlined right there from verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Four things I want to point out about this real quick. Number one, being filled with the Spirit is not optional. Did you, do you notice that? It's a command. Now, some of you uh, may be scratching your heads and thinking, well, I, I can't remember ever, when I was ever filled with the Spirit. You need to get busy. <laughs> you need to find out about this. That, this is not optional. This is a command. Be filled with the Spirit. That's what it says right there. We say that we speak where the Bible speaks and remain silent where the Bible is silent. God has spoken. Be filled with the Spirit. But I notice that we have not listened very well to this command. For some reason, we, we, we've really dug around and hunted down all the other commands of the New Testament. And, and, and we got them on a list. And we're busy taking care of those. But when it comes to this one, it's like we're just jumping over this. And not paying too much attention. So let me give you some examples. We, we read some of these from this morning. Uh, commands that, that, that we just key on. And we, we know all about and We're trying hard to do these things. Hebrews 10, 25. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. As the manner of some is. But exhorting one another. So much the more as you see the day approaching. That's a command. And, and we, we know about it. And we're working on it, aren't we? Then there's a bunch of them in 1 Thessalonians 5. There's a bunch of little short commands right there. About the middle of 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know, that's a sermon outline for probably a, a, a thousand sermons across the country today. Right there. Those are commands from God. They're not optional. We could go over to the book of James. Uh, James is full of commands for us. James 1, 19 and 20. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. James 5.16, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Well, those are commands, and we know all about them, and we preach about them, we talk about them, we're trying. Then we come to Ephesians, uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 26. Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down on your wrath. We know all about that one, we work on that one, we preach that one. Ephesians 5.22, wives, be subject to your husbands, as to the Lord, 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I mean, we could just go on and on and on with all these commands that we've hunted down and circled and underlined and talk about and work on. But here's one that we've not been so keen on. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. We haven't really worked on that very hard, have we? And that's what this lesson is about this morning. It's going to take me a couple a couple times to actually do this, but we're going to start, at least start on this today. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. So the first thing is, it's not optional, it's a command. The second thing I want you to notice about this, this verse, is that, or this command, is it's all-encompassing. This is not just for some select group of people. It's not just for the preachers, it's not just for the elders, it's not just for the deacons or just for the people who are teaching Bible. 
That command was written to a church. It's in the plural. It was written to everybody, every Christian that was sitting there listening to this letter read for the very first time. It was for them. The command is all-encompassing. It's for every member of the body of Christ. It's for every member who is sitting here today, assembled as the Sunshine Church of Christ. Here's the third thing I want you to notice about the command. Fulfilling this command has to be in the realm of possibility. I cannot imagine that God would give us a command that just was impossible for us to fulfill. And so when I look at this, I understand this command is something that surely it can happen. And it has happened and it will continue to happen. And the question is, am I going to be a part of that happening? Am I going to allow that sort of thing to happen with me? So fulfilling this command is in the realm of possibility. That's three. And number four, the command is passive. This is not something that we do for ourselves. It says, be filled with the Spirit. Well, you know, that's passive. I mean, something, someone else, something else is acting and, and, and is active in this thing, and we're kind of the, like the receptacle. We're simply receiving something here. And so it's not something we do for ourselves. We have to allow it. And it's like a lot of other things that God commands of Christians. He, he, and, 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 and this is how I'm going to put it. We can't do it without him, and he won't do it without us. This filling with the Spirit is not something that we can just make happen. We can't do it without him. And the other half of it is he won't do it without us. There has to be some cooperation here. To be filled uh, with the Spirit means to make room for it. To prepare yourself for uh, the coming, the pouring out of the Spirit. To expect it, to cooperate, to desire it. Maybe even to ask for it. That would be what someone could do in order to be filled with the Spirit. You can accommodate. You can cooperate. The command is passive, but it doesn't mean there's nothing for us to do. And those are are some things that we can do that might help it come to pass. And I want to point out that every member of the Ephesian church has already obeyed the gospel, the, the gospel commands of Acts 2 and 38. They've believed, they've repented, they've been baptized. They've all received the gift of the Holy Spirit. All, everyone, every single Christian sitting in the Ephesian church as this letter was read for the very first time had the Holy Spirit dwelling within them already. They had received the Holy Spirit. Every one of them had repented and baptized and forgiven and, and received the Holy Spirit. And, but now Paul commands them to do something other, more than simply letting the Spirit dwell within he commands these Christians to be filled with the Spirit. And what, I'm, what I want to say here is that the, the dwelling of the Spirit within us and a filling of the Spirit are two different things. They're related, but they're two different things. All of these people already had the Holy Spirit within them. Now Paul says, you need something. You need to do something else. Be filled with the Spirit. And so there, there's a progression here. The Spirit is always present with Christians, but there was a need for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's just back up and say that like this. As far as the Holy Spirit is concerned, God's part is to do the filling. That's something we cannot do. Our part is to prepare for it, to expect it, yes, and even to ask for it. 
Now, despite the fact that being filled with the Holy Spirit is not something that we have emphasized and seldom talked about, here it is. It's right there in front of us. It's God's command. We need to figure out what this means. We need to figure out what our part is in being filled. I'm certain that God will always do his part. And if we are here this morning and we have never been filled with the Holy Spirit, here's what I want to tell you, it's probably your fault. I can't blame, we don't want to blame God, do we? It's probably our fault. And if we have never been filled with the Holy Spirit, then I want you to listen very carefully to five things I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, You could think of these as prerequisites. They're things that have to be in place in order for us as Christians to be filled with the Spirit. Now, there's there's more to this lesson than this, okay? There's a lot more, and and next time I come back here, uh, we're going to be talking about this. But number one, this is something that has to be true. You must be saved. You have to be a Christian. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, the problem may be that you have not received the Holy Spirit. If you haven't received the Holy Spirit, you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. Which is to say, you have to be saved, you have to be a child of God in order to have this thing that he's talking about here, being filled with the Holy Spirit. We receive the Spirit when we become Christians, that's Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we, we receive that gift when we become Christians, that the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. Once we have the Spirit, we may then be filled with the Spirit. And maybe the reason that you, if there's someone here who has never been filled with the Spirit, maybe the reason that you have never been filled with the Spirit goes pretty deep. Maybe you've never been saved. Maybe you are not a Christian. Which means you need to go back and kind of take a look at the the whole foundation of your life. You need to to take a real good look. In Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, these are verses about the foundation of a person's life. This comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says these words, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now here are people who uh, apparently have come to judgment. This is kind of a vision of judgment day. And here are some people, very religious people, and who have done a lot of really wonderful things, amazing things. They've prophesied in the name of the Lord. They've cast out demons. They've done many uh, wonderful things, signs in the name of Jesus. And when they come to judgment and the Lord is looking to them, he says, I never knew you. What does that mean? I never knew you. Was there ever a relationship between Jesus and these people? Not if you believe what Jesus said to them. I never knew you. And, and, and there are so many people who are kind of religious in a general sort of way. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it seems nice. And it seems like something God would want us to do. And it seems this. And it seems that way. They really don't take, pay much attention to what the Word says. They're just out, kind of out there doing nice religious things. And they're good people. And we enjoy them. And we love them. And we, we, all of that. And, and I just wonder, are, are they going to end up in this position? I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know what lawlessness is? Lawlessness is something that people become involved in when they do not pay attention to what the word says. You're lawless even when you don't want to be. Because you don't know what it says. You're not paying attention. Anyway, uh, the reason I'm saying this, and, and we could go on to the next verses here. It, it's about foundation. And, and, and what confirms this view of these verses for me is what comes now, verses 24 through 27. Jesus goes, tells this little parable about two guys, a wise guy and a foolish guy. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, see, I'm, I'm, we're talking about lawlessness now, okay? They hear these sayings of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. What Jesus is talking about here is foundation. And, and, and that's, what, that's what the verses before are about. Foundation. What, what, how do you get started? And you see, uh, uh, we just got to have to ask ourselves these questions. What, what was the quality of my faith at the time that I became a Christian? Did I really believe or was I just kind of following along with a bunch of other people? Have I repented? Have I really repented? Have I, have, I, have, I, have I renounced sin? And have I made my will, my determination to follow God no matter what? Even something as simple as baptism can be a problem. And the reason I'm saying this, if you go over to Acts 19, there's a little story there in the, in the history recorded in the book of Acts about some people who had listened to a preacher named Apollos. We've met Apollos in the last verses of chapter 18. Apollos, uh, when he was in Corinth, that's where he is in chapter 18, uh, finds out that he was wrong about some stuff. And uh, Priscilla and Aquila have to straighten him out. And they do. But Apollos has spent some time in Ephesus previously. And while Apollos has already gone on to Corinth, there are people back in Ephesus who have listened to Apollos, and they didn't get it right, okay, because Apollos didn't have it right. Paul comes in from by land into the city of Ephesus. And it says there, here we go. Here's the story. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. So we have some people here who at least uh, are holding themselves out to be Christians. They're disciples of Christ, followers. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? <laughs> now this is, and they give an answer that they shouldn't give. They said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Paul was going, what in the world? What happened? <laughs> Let's go to the next verses. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, oh, now I know. John baptized with the baptism of repentance, calling, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's a difference between John's baptism and the baptism of Christ. And Paul understood that these people, even though they were disciples, holding themselves out to be uh, Christian people and, and, and doing their best. No, we're not going to criticize them for that. They had not received the Spirit. Why hadn't they received the Spirit? There was something about their baptism. They had been not taught the right way. Now they're taught the right thing. They understand it's, a, it's about Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus. 
And they're baptized, and wow, the Holy Spirit comes now. So, you know, uh, uh, here's what I'm saying uh, uh, about this. If you're having a foundation problem, if, you're, if you're have, you've never been uh, filled with the Spirit, maybe it's a foundation problem. Maybe you just need to go back and take a look at the foundation and make sure that everything is in place there. Because if you don't have the Spirit, you can't be filled with the Spirit. Here's the second thing I'm going to tell you about these uh, verses we've been looking at. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to ask yourself this. Is there a sin that I'm clinging to? You know, as Christians, we have to confess and forsake all known sin. The Holy Spirit is not going to be active in a person who has sin that he just won't let go of. And I'm not saying you have to be perfect. No one at, no one at Ephesus was perfect when Paul wrote uh, these things uh, to them. I'm, I'm sure they weren't. Uh, they're just about like us. But you can't be in rebellion against God in some area of your life and expect the Holy Spirit to do anything for you except convict you and make you miserable. That's the only thing I can think the Holy Spirit would do for you is convict you and make you miserable. But if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got to ask yourself, is there something that I'm clinging to that I just need to, I need to, I need to confess it, forsake it? The presence of unconfessed, unrepented sin may very well grieve the Holy Spirit. Here's Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Where Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know what grieves the Holy Spirit? Is to have to live in the same body with a person who's really not interested in, in, in serving the Lord. That, that's really an aggravation. That's, that's a grief. That grieves him. That's hard on him. And I, I know that's got to be part of what Paul is talking about here when he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Or maybe... Um, you might even go so far as to insult the Spirit of Grace. In, our, in the scripture reading that John had up here just a few moments ago for the Lord's Supper, I, I, wanna, I want you to look at these verses. It's Hebrews 10, 26, and 27. And, and here's Paul talking to Christians, or the writer of Hebrews. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Now, so we've got a, we've got a Christian here who is involved in willful sin. Uh, they know it's wrong, but they, they just can't, won't let go of it. They're hanging on to it. Now let's go to the next verses. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So he said, go back to the Old Testament. Man, I tell you, this is serious. Even under the old law, you could be executed uh, if there were two or three people who would stand up and say, yes, we saw him do this. We know this is a problem for him. Verse 29, how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? We're talking about that person back there in 1026 now. And has insulted the spirit of grace. To continue in willful sin as a Christian is to insult the spirit of grace. So I can understand why if, if, if you, you could be a Christian but never filled with the Holy Spirit because you're kind of hanging on to something here. That really just grieves the Holy Spirit. It insults the Holy Spirit. And the only thing the Holy Spirit can do for you is convict you and make you miserable about it. 
And I want to say this too. This is a problem you could take care of today. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, you could clear it all up today. You could take care of this. And maybe some of what we're talking about here, the filling of, with the Holy Spirit, is something that could happen for you. So, let's go on to, to um, <clears throat> number, number three. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe it's a problem of acknowledging the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you were to ask the average member of the churches of Christ, does the Spirit dwell in you, I can almost guarantee you, yes, they would say yes, 100% right down the line, because we know the right answers. We, we got the theory. We have the intellectual knowledge. We've read our Bibles. We understand. The problem is, is that more than intellectual knowledge is needed. More than intellectual knowledge is needed. We've all got the theory, but we're a little short on practice and application. Let me, let me put it like this. A Christian is two spirits in one body. First of all, there's your spirit that lives in there. And secondly, there is the Holy Spirit. We are two spirits in one body. Now, imagine if you can. I know you've all been on an elevator at one time or another, got on on the first floor and rode to the 15th floor or something like that with another person. And, you know, it's, it's kind of awkward to ride along. Uh, you're both looking to each other's feet or at the, at the, you know, you'd never look at each other. You never acknowledge one. It's awkward. And some of us are kind of like that with the Holy Spirit. It's like we got on the elevator at the first floor and we're not going to look. We're not going to make contact. We're not going to say anything. Uh, you know, we just don't want to. Or maybe you can imagine being in, in, in a small room with uh, a couple other people, and you decide you're not going to talk. You sit there for an hour, two hours, three hours. Four. After a while, you just have to say something to them, or it gets weird. Or get, imagine getting in a car driving to Columbus. You get in the car, and you never say a word to the person who's riding with you in the car all the way to Columbus and all the way back. Can you imagine that? That's kind, of how, that's kind of how some of us treat the Holy Spirit. Two spirits in one body. And we, we say, we will admit to everyone else, yeah, the Holy Spirit's dwelling in me, but we never really acknowledge that in terms of how we relate to the Holy Spirit. And so we have uh, spent generations ignoring the practical reality of what we confess with our lips. We say the Holy Spirit dwells in us, but we don't act like he dwells in us. In fact, we're a little mystified by it, uncomfortable with it, no desire to talk about it, and certainly no, no desire to speak with him or to talk with any other person about it. And maybe the reason, if you've never been filled with God's Holy Spirit, is because you've never really acknowledged his presence. Here's number four. If you've never been filled with the Spirit, Maybe you've never understood and accepted what he is doing for us and in us. This stuff that I'm talking about here is, is stuff that's told to us by the word of God. We can trust the word of God. We're very suspicious of emotionalism and things that are, uh, you know, you can't quantify or uh, things you can't stack up and move around and all that kind of thing. That, that's just kind of a, our nature and especially so with us in, in the churches. We're, we're rationalists. We, we want to break it all down and understand it and get all the points and have all the details worked out. That's kind of how we work. 
Well, here's something in the Word of God that we need to work on here. We need to accept the Word of God about the Holy Spirit. So I handed out these little things right here, and this is by no means a comprehensive list. But you can take a look at this right here of things that the Bible says that the Holy Spirit does. Some of these things are in us. Some of these things are things that we do to the Holy Spirit. Uh, but these are things that come from the Word of God. They're not things that, that I'm making up. We need to accept those things. There's all kinds of things revealed there in the Word. We need to accept them. We need to trust God to work through His Spirit to do them. We need to expect the Spirit to work. We need to get comfortable with Him doing it. And we need to be able to talk about it, okay, and acknowledge it when it happens. And this may be our biggest problem right here. When the Word of God says the Spirit does something in us or for us, and He does it, we, want, we often explain it away. We despiritualize it. We find some way to turn it into the work of man or into some kind of coincidence. Or rather than to say it's the work of the Holy Spirit. We are uncomfortable with divine intervention in our affairs. And the result is this. We ignore the Holy Spirit, or maybe even worse, we are found to be resisting, quenching, grieving the Holy Spirit. But regardless of what the word says, if we do not accept it, believe it, expect it, the Holy Spirit does not act. One of the bedrock principles of the New Testament is Matthew 9, 27 through 29. It's a little story there about a couple blind men. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, it shall be done to you according to your faith. You know, there, there's an aspect of, of our experience as Christians that is determined by what we believe or expect to happen, going to happen. And that's what Jesus is telling these fellows right here. He says, okay, what's going to happen now? It will be based on what you believe is going to happen. It'll be according to your faith, be it done unto you. And all I want to say to you about the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, according to your faith, it will be done to you. The Bible says it can happen. It says it ought to happen. According to your faith, it will be done to you. In Matthew 13, 53 through 58, Jesus is in uh, his hometown, the hometown of Nazareth. Uh, he, he comes there. I mean, he's just as powerful as he ever was. He could do anything he wants to, uh, all kinds of things. But he comes into town, and they remember him as the little boy. And instead of greeting him with faith, they greet him with a bunch of questions, a lot of skepticism. And, you know, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't he the brother of James and Joseph and names all, all of his brothers and sisters and everything? And just go on and on and on. Not, not a whole lot of faith here. It wasn't a really good reception here. And here was the result. Chapter 13, verse 58. He did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Man, he could have done a pile. He could have done a lot. If some people had just said, you know, hey, this is Jesus, son of God, and he can do it. But no. That's what not, that, that was not what these people were about. And so Jesus left there with many things undone that could have been done if there had been some faith in the people. 
Some are never feared, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit because of a lack of faith. We don't believe it's possible. Well, that's just for Jesus' day and time. Or if it is possible, we admit it's possible, that has to be for somebody else. It's not for me. And uh, maybe we're not sure we even want it. You know, that, that would make me way too religious. I don't want to be like that. But some are never filled with the Holy Spirit because they're reluctant to accept what the book says. According to your faith, be it done to you. Here's number five. Some have never been filled with the Holy Spirit. And my question is, have you asked for it? I'm going back to Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And by the way, let, let me just say this. I'm not talking about tongue speaking. I'm not talking about handling snakes. I'm not talking about drinking poison. I'm not talking about speaking in tongues. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that makes us righteous, holy people. Just to be clear, maybe somebody might think I was. But here we are. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, how could it be wrong to ask God for something he has commanded you to have or to do? How, I mean, what, by what stretch of the imagination could it be wrong to pray and ask God to help you receive this thing that he says he wants you to have? You can't possibly make that wrong. It can't be. And in fact, I think it may be necessary. And I, and I have lots of reasons for saying that, but I, I, I'm going to let that pen. James says, chapter 4 and verse 2, he says, you have not because you ask not. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 11, and in chapter 11, is the first uh, 13 verses are all about prayer. And first of all, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And then he, he gives them uh, some, some examples here. He says, you know, if you were a, a guy uh, who had company come in at midnight, and you had a friend, and the friend came over, and, said, and he didn't have enough bread, and he, and he said, you might not get up and give you the bread because you're his friend, but if he persists, if he persists and just keeps and he won't go away, eventually you'll give him bread. And he's talking about prayer. And then he, he says something, in, you know, he says, and you fathers. He says, how many of you, if your son comes and asks you for a fish, is going to give him a scorpion? He says, no. Your heavenly father gives good gifts like you would. So here we are, chapter 11, verse 13. This is the last verse of this teaching. He says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you know what I pray for every day? I pray that God would fill me with his Holy Spirit. And I base that on Ephesians 5.18. I know he wants me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's commanded me to be filled. So I ask him. And you, you know what I pray for our elders and our deacons and our teachers here at Sunshine? I pray every day that they would be filled with God's Holy Spirit. And you know what I pray for this church? I pray that Sunshine would be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the hearts of the people who are here. And, and that's my way of saying to God, Lord, I want to cooperate here. <laughs> you 
you're telling me something here. I don't know exactly what it means, but I got a pretty good idea. And I, I want to participate. I want, to, I want this, whatever it is. And I think it would be a great thing for our people, all of us. It's my way of saying, Lord, I want to cooperate here. But could you imagine this church if every member was filled with the Holy Spirit? Not just the Holy Spirit dwelling within, but filled with the Holy Spirit. It'd be a different kind of thing, wouldn't it? And, and that's why I'm praying that. And, and, and here's why I'm telling you all of this. Uh, this is what I want to happen as a result of this lesson. First of all, I want us to understand that nothing much is going to happen without the Holy Spirit. Nothing much is going to happen for us without the, personally or as a church or whatever. Nothing much is going to happen for us unless the Holy Spirit is in us and active and in control. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to us. He's our guide, our strength, our power, our comfort. And I want us to be able to acknowledge his presence in us. Be able to acknowledge his work when we see it. Not, not pass it off as coincidence or something else. Be able to talk about it. I, I, I want us to change the way we talk about things. I want us to change the way that we pray. I think it would be a wonderful thing to just begin to pray, every one of us, to begin to be prayed with the Spirit, that I may be filled with your Holy Spirit, Father, one day at a time. And if this is real, and I think it is real, then it will change the way we live, the way we talk, the way we think, the way we pray, the way we worship, the way we serve. It will change everything about us. We say that we're about restoring the church in the New Testament. Well, here's something we really need to work on. Is there someone here today who's not a Christian? If that's the case, we're going to sing our hymn of invitation. You inviting you to come before us to confess your faith in Jesus, to repent of your sins, to be baptized in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you might have the Holy Spirit. And maybe there's a Christian here who needs to get some things straight between themselves and God or themselves and the congregation, and they just want to ask us to pray. Uh, that's fine. A couple elders on each side, I, I suggest you go to them first. But let's stand and